Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. We're going to read from Acts chapter 12 and from verse 1. About that time, heard the king stretched forth his hands to vax certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth unto the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison. But prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth the same night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Amen. We'll pause there. We're going to look at Acts chapter 12, verse 7, down to verse 11 this evening. Peter is, as we learned last week, in a humanly impossible situation and yet he's going to be delivered and he's not going to be delivered by any human intervention he's going to be delivered by a powerful sovereign work of God God in his mercy the God who is almighty hears the prayers of the church and sends an angel and sets Peter free from his imprisonment now this is an exciting story Uh, The Lord himself reaching down into the depths of human darkness and bringing deliverance to one who faces certain death. It's a conversion story too, isn't it? An amazing story of how the Lord delivers all of us from bondage. Now personally, I need to be careful here. I'm always wary of any 
modern story featuring visions of angels and theophanies in these days. Largely because such stories have usually been invented and misused by charismatics and word faith preachers and all new age practitioners and all sorts of people are seeing angels all over the place. And yet we have to remember too that God is the same sovereign God and he is just in as much in control of our individual lives today as he was in the time of Acts. God does from time to time intervene in ways that we do not expect and that are often very difficult for us to understand. When I finally left the Elam ministry way back 15 or so years ago, after many years of doubt about some Pentecostal matters and modern ideas of the Holy Spirit's intervention and miracles and all sorts of things. When I finally did that and said goodbye to all of that stuff, I was, as you will quite understand, extremely sceptical. The Lord had to teach me a lesson because while we are right to be sceptical of some of the things that are happening in that movement, we do have to be careful to coin a phrase that we don't actually throw out the baby with the bathwater. I learned it very quickly. Um, A friend of mine who was a a pastor of a Pentecostal church rang me. He no longer is, but he was then. Rang me. He was busy uh, being part-time pastor. He was busy with his work. And one of his um, church members was seriously ill in the Royal Victoria Hospital, a man who I knew very well. And this gentleman asked me if I would go and visit him. And I had business to do in the RVH, and I certainly agreed to visit him. I went in, um, and because I was going into the neurological ward, and I was going in to see someone who was in a very serious situation, uh, on his own, in a private room, because of his condition, I was wearing the dreaded clerical collar. haven't worn one hardly since, I assure you. But I was in that, on that day... And I walked into the room and just as I came in, a nurse asked me if I would leave again because this man, this patient, was about to get his consultation. The the rounds were being done. So I came back out into the corridor and I stood there and this man brushed by me, a very man of great possessment, you might say, a man whose... um, presence filled the corridor and behind him a whole retinue of followers, nurses and doctors and they swept into the room and ten minutes later they swept out again. I'm still standing in the corridor. This big man walked down the walked down the corridor from here probably to the door and he turned on his heel and he marched straight purposefully back up to me and he stopped and he looked me straight in the face and he said It wasn't me that cured him, it must have been you. I hadn't even been in to see the man at this stage. So I walked in through the door, and there was the patient sitting in his bed, looking puzzled. And I said to him, something strange just happened to me. And he said to me, 
Something strange just happened to me. That man had had a serious illness. And he was sitting there in his bed, and the consultant, for that's who that was, had come in. To cut a long story short, he had put two sets of results in front of him. He said, there's your results from last week when you were in the hospital. And there's your results from this week. And they're being, their tests are done. They're exactly the same. They're both from the same lab. Now tell me, when we sent you home for the weekend, what did you do? He says, I asked my church to pray for me. The man lifted the notes. Well, he says, that explains it. Go home and tell your church their prayers was answered. He says, because in that first set of results, I have a man who has motor neuron disease. And in this set of results, I have a man who is 100% healthy. It was then that he walked out through the door and saw me standing and mistook me for the man's minister because I was waiting to go in to see him. Now, that's a strange thing and a rare thing. But that happened. And the only reason I'm telling you that this evening is because while we believe that God moved in extraordinary ways in the book of Acts, and while we believe fervently that the sign gifts are something which were for the benefit and the building up of the early church, we must not come to the point where we think that we don't pray for the Lord to be with someone who is sick. And we must not come to the point where we cannot expect that God will intervene in someone's personal circumstances in a way that we maybe don't understand. Because God is sovereign and he's on the throne and he hasn't changed. We simply should not expect supernatural deliverances like this. Nor should we promise them to anyone especially in terms of personal enrichment or financial success or healing and health. But we must never, as Reformed Christians, exclude the idea that the God who created us out of dust, the God who determines our lifestyle, the God who can do with us as he pleases, can also deliver us from danger when we ourselves can do nothing. Psalmist says, in that psalm that we sang, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. God's word is for eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. I want to look at two simple points this evening. I want you to see Peter rescued by God and Peter reassured by grace. Peter rescued by God. Let's think about this for a moment. Verse 7. Now behold, an angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. 
and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off from his hands. Let's just break that down a wee bit so we can get the grasp of it. I know this is simple. The angels stood over him, abandoned by men. He was never forgotten by God. The angel of the Lord came upon him. There is nothing that can keep the Lord out of our difficulties. He sent an angel to deliver Peter, a messenger of God. It's not the first time this has happened. When Daniel was in the lion's den, he was protected by an angel. The God, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me. Um, an angel came to where Peter was. There's, no, there's a caution here. We can't ignore the doctrine of angels. We must remember that they exist and that they are spiritual beings and that they are servants of God. Um, but at the same time, we don't trust in them. We trust in the Lord. Peter's deliverance was not wrought by an angel. It was wrought by God. And the glory for his deliverance belongs to God. The angel was simply a conduit, a worker, a messenger used by God to bring that deliverance about. And for very good reason, as we shall see. Second thing that happens is that a light shines in the darkness of the prison. I don't think the light came from the angel. It doesn't. It is always the Lord who sends light into the darkness. The Lord Jesus is the light of the world. Interesting, something interesting, something really interesting going on here. Where were the guards? What were the guards doing? Remember last week we learned that he, Peter was being guarded by 16 men round the clock. They were divided into groups of four. Two of them were guarding the outside of the door. Two of them were physically chained to the prisoner. What were they doing when this great light was shining? Why did they not react to it? Some people have suggested that they may have been physically blinded by the light. I think it's more likely that they were spiritually blind. You see, unbelievers do not see the glorious light of the gospel. Sure they don't. They are blinded by Satan. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 teaches us this very thing. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, and who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, here's this light in this dark prison, and these prisoners who are not going to even witness this great act of deliverance, who cannot conceive of it, are not alerted by the light, or awakened. But then neither was Peter. Again, as we've seen last week, Peter was asleep. And the reason he was asleep was not because he was apathetic. Peter was asleep because he was resting with confidence in the Lord. Now he's asleep. This is very detailed. It says that the angel smote Peter on the side. Now, I don't know what it takes to waken you up, but it takes an awful lot to waken me up. 
few weeks ago, I emerged sometime during the morning in the back garden at Ballygown. And our next door neighbour, who's friendly, was out in the back garden and she shouted over to me, Bob, did you hear that thunder last night? I hadn't heard any thunder. It would take more than thought, take an earthquake to waken me up once I get into a deep sleep, whether night or day. Peter was in a deep sleep. Even though it was meant to be his last night on earth, even though the next morning he was going to stand before a kangaroo court and face certain conviction and be put to death by his sword as James was, he was sleeping, resting in the Lord. One commentator finds amusement in this. One of the commentators I was reading on this subject says that the angel had to poke him in the side in order to waken him up. And then what happens? His chains fell off. He's got handcuffs on. Remember, he's not just chained to a wall or to an inanimate object. He's chained to two human beings, two men, one on each side. Two men who would feel any movement. Two men who would feel any slackening in the the manacles who would feel any movement from Peter, but yet these locks are opened and the chains literally drop off and the guards are still undisturbed and by all accounts don't discover that Peter's gone until the next morning. So Peter is in the jail, it's darkness, the angel stands over him, the light shines in the prison, Peter is physically wakened by the angel and the chains fall off his arms. And the angel says, put on ye, for the benefit of those who listen to this on the internet, that's a Northern Ireland expression that means become clothed. Peter must have been still a bit groggy. You know how it is when you're suddenly wakened out of a deep sleep by an angel, don't you? And you take some time to figure out what's actually going on around you. And the angel actually has to remind him to get himself dressed. Matthew Henry here commentating on this says he must gird himself. For those who slept in their clothes ungirded themselves so that they had nothing to do when they got up but to fasten the girdle around them. And so here... In verse 8, the angel said to him, Gird thyself. Take thy, take thy clothes that they're wearing. They, had, they would have lain, they would simply have ungirded their coat and their clothes and laid them down. Gird your garment around you. Put on your sandals. He must put on his sandals so that he's fit to walk. Cast his garments about him. Look at the verse, verse 8. Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he's led to safety. He went out and he followed him. And even then, Peter's still all a bit confused by what had happened. So he went out. In verse 9, and he followed him, and he wist not what that it was true, what was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. 
completely confused. Is this a dream? Am I being taken out of this prison? Is it really happening? And yet from then on, it's plain sailing. They walk past the guards and they come to the iron gate from the prison onto the street and the gate is always securely locked. And yet, as they reach it, the gate literally swings open in front of them. Verse 10, when they were past the first and second ward, they came onto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of his own accord. A locked gate just opens. And they walk out. And the angel's job is done. And he departs. And forthwith, the angel departed from him. Peter is rescued by God alone. Second point is that Peter is reassured by grace. Look at verse 11. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hands of Herod and from all the expectation of the people of the Jews. Right, so Peter's standing on an empty street night time. He's outside the prison and now he is starting to catch on that his situation has changed. Remember a few verses back he didn't know whether he was was dreaming this but now he, he realizes I'm standing on the street the Lord and the Lord alone has rescued me and right there on that empty street he speaks even though he's the only person there. And he says, now I really know that it is the Lord who has delivered me. It's a very important lesson that he's learned, that the Lord is able to deliver his people. There's a number of very important lessons for us, as well as for Peter. It is for us to learn that it is the Lord who rescues us from all of our earthly foes. You see, for Peter, his foes were overwhelming. Look at what he says in verse 11. He has rescued me from the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. Herod's forces were unassailable as far as Peter was concerned. Herod held all the advantages Herod had the army, the police, the judiciary, the might, the military might and power. Herod had everything going for him. Not only that, but he had Peter captured. He had Peter in prison. He had Peter marked for death. The end of the feast, it was a certainty. And the Jewish people too, they were arraigned against the Christian church. They expected that Peter would be put to death. His foes, Peter's foes, are overwhelming. But the Lord is his deliverer. The second thing that we learn from it is that God always exercises sovereign choice. A very difficult lesson. Why did Peter why did why was Peter rescued by God? Why did God not rescue James. If you go back 
to the beginning of the chapter. You'll see the historical setting. Now about that time, heard the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Why did God not rescue James? Was James any less of a believer than Peter? Was the church not praying hard enough for James? What was wrong? Well, I suppose we could speculate. The simple thing would be to say that God has more work for Peter to do and more to be achieved. We could say that James's work on this earth was done, that he's being taken home to his heavenly reward. But we don't know. Because, in fact, after this chapter, Peter is no longer in Luke's focus. In fact, after church this morning in Ballymacashan, talking to some of the folks, and one of the men said to me, you know, I've been reading this chapter at home, and I've been looking for where Peter is in the book of Acts after this, and I can't find him. No, but you won't, because the focus shifts to Paul. Peter's no longer in the focus of the book. He's beginning to talk about the missionary era of the church under Paul's ministry. Where's Peter? Why did God rescue Peter and not James? There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer as to why God brings some people home to even his own people, brings them home to be with himself in their early ages And other people remain in this world until great old age. We don't know why. All that we know is that all of our days are in the hands of the Lord. And we are reassured that we will not leave this world one single split second before the Lord has determined for us. The Lord rescues us from all of our earthly foes. God exercises sovereign choice. And of course, in this narrative, we are reminded that God rescues sinners from the penalty of their sin. Many have likened Peter's deliverance from the prison as a visual aid for our spiritual rescue from the dark prison of sin. There's no doubt that there are many parallels. Our natural state is one of darkness and imprisonment. We're bound and we're chained by our sin. We're held prisoner by the devil. The Puritan Thomas Watson, writing on the Ten Commandments, speaks of this bondage. He says men naturally are in the house of bondage. They are enslaved to Satan. Satan is the prince of this world. He is the god of this world. Because he has the power to command and enslave his people. Though he shall one day be a close prisoner in chains. Yet now he insults and tyrannizes over the souls of men. Sinners are under his rule. He exercises over them a jurisdiction such as Caesar did over the Senate. He fills men's heads with error and fills their hearts with malice. And we can't rescue ourselves from our sin. 
And we can't spare ourselves from sin's consequences. And we are hopeless and our circumstances are terrifyingly hopeless. And we need a rescuer. We need a deliverer to come to where we are in the dark prison of sin. And to come and to set us free. And God in his mercy and grace has sent a deliverer. And to rescue Peter, he sends an angel. And to rescue us from our imprisonment under Satan, he sent his own son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes to where we are, who plucks us out of darkness, who brings us out of the prison bonds and into the safety and security of God's kingdom. And he does that through his saving work on the cross. God deals with our sin trap condition too. God enlightens our eyes, spiritually speaking, so that we see our lostness. God opens our eyes so that we see the way of salvation in Christ. He releases us from our bondage and he lifts us up out of the mire and out of the mud brings us out of our darkness and our sorrow and our night. Charles Wesley, just after his conversion to Christ, wrote these memorable words. Long my imprisoned spirit lay Fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee as did Peter. Sometimes, like Peter, when we are first delivered, we're not fully aware of the greatness of the work of God in our deliverance. Like Peter, staggering in wonder along that dark street with the angel, we are stunned by the goodness of God. We are thrilled by his saving work. But as we progress in the Christian life, we should daily become more fully aware of the greatness of God's grace and be reassured by it. So it is the Lord who rescues us from our earthly foes. Acknowledging that God exercises sovereign choice, a difficult lesson from this passage. Realizing that it is the Lord alone who rescues sinners from their darkness and brings them into his glorious light. And finally then, when we are delivered from darkness like Peter, we must follow our deliverer, mustn't we? The angel said in verse 8, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. I'm trying to imagine what would happen if Peter had got free, had been set free, and his chains had fallen off, and the angel had said, Right, Peter, you're free. And Peter said, That's it. I'm saved now. I'm rescued now. I can do what I want. I can go my own way. Thanks very much. 
But when delivered, he needed to follow his deliverer, to be brought to a place of safety. The Lord Jesus still calls upon us, whom he has rescued from our sins, to follow him until we too reach that eternal place of safety. Is it any wonder the spiritual lessons that Peter learned that night caused him to reaffirm his faith and trust in the God who is our mighty deliverer? For the same God who so miraculously rescued Peter from his prison cell is the God who has rescued us and who keeps us safe through the dark streets of this life till we're brought home to glory.